Thank you, worship team. A couple of songs there that help us to think about what we're going to focus on this morning with regard to our message and uh, really just um, something that I think is important for us as the church to remember, uh, to keep in mind as we uh, live in the United States of America, which is our Jerusalem. If you were here last Sunday with Bishop Randy Sizemore, who came to speak, he talked about us returning to Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem happens to be Schuylkill Haven in Schuylkill County in Pennsylvania in the United States of America. And what does it look like to walk into that Jerusalem as followers of Jesus? And he uh, pointed some things out uh, last Sunday about that. And I want to talk about what he shared in connection to the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, which is what we recognize today. Um, and you'll see some stuff in the lobby uh, that is for you. Uh, one of them is a, is a baby bottle. If you're not familiar with Jewel Women's Center, Jewel Women's Center is right on Main Street in uh, Schuylkill Haven. It is our crisis pregnancy center here in Schuylkill County. And uh, every year at this Sunday, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we get baby bottles, and this is one of the fundraisers they do. And you can take this baby bottle home with you, fill it, and bring it back to the church, and we'll see that Jewel gets it. You can put change in it, money, check, whatever you want to do, um, and bring that back. In the lobby, as you exit those doors to the right, um, is a table that also has little cards on it. Uh, that's called Text to Pray. You can um, put that on your uh, phone, and they can text you uh, with prayer requests. Uh, usually when there's a young lady coming in in a crisis pregnancy situation, um, they'll send out a text, and we all just start praying for uh, that person. They never use names, obviously, but pray for that person and the meeting they're about to have. If you'd rather get an email, you can sign up for an email. Uh, if you'd rather just give online, you can give online as well. I'll, I'll say a little bit more about Jewel Women's Center in the message and uh, our connection with them, participation with them, and, and really a partnership uh, that we have with Jewel uh, here in Schuylkill County. But uh, this Sunday is observed in the United States of America, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about that in our message uh, every year, though, uh, crisis pregnancies throughout the United States um, observe this Sunday in lots of different churches uh, to talk about the ministry that they have in reaching young women and men in crisis pregnancy situations. And every year they put out a video uh, about the sanctity of human life. And so I want to just share this video with you. And then just go into my message, and then as we close uh, this morning, uh, just have a word of prayer specifically for Jewel, but then also for the crisis pregnancies throughout the United States of America. And we'll do that specifically as we uh, close the service today. But uh, they've shared a video with us, and I'd like all of you to see that. Created for purpose, a unique genetic blueprint from the moment of conception. 
DNA woven together to determine gender, eye color, hair color, fearfully and wonderfully made, valued beyond measure. Our culture says life is disposable, her rights matter most, it's not really a baby, and it's all one big choice. But God created us in his own image and whispered, I have called you by name, you are mine. In the US, Roe v. Wade has been overturned, but abortion is still legal in many states. Most recently, abortion has been boxed up in the form of two little pills and a promise to make it all go away. What will you do to make a difference for life? How can you be a voice? Will you help save a life? There are over 2,700 pregnancy centers in the United States, serving men and women free of charge and full of hope, providing pregnancy tests, life-affirming counsel, abortion recovery, classes, clothing, and diapers. Many centers offer the first glimpse of a woman's baby in the womb displaying the magnificence of creation and the precious beats of a tiny heart, perfectly formed and fashioned by the one who created them. They serve faithfully, love well, encourage, they are hope dealers. They need volunteers, your prayers, and your financial support. Will you please give generously and help make a difference for life today? So Jewel Women's Center is the local crisis pregnancy center, as I said, and we've participated and partnered with them for a long time. One of the pastors of Grace Church, Bob Stahl, was instrumental in actually getting a crisis pregnancy center here in Schuylkill County. And many from uh, Grace Church have served on the board. I was a part of the board at one time. And uh, we've sponsored rooms over there uh, as they went into their new facility and help uh, pay for a room. Uh, a bunch of guys from Grace Church went over and laid floor when they got their new facility. Uh, some people volunteer on some of their events from Grace Church. Uh, lots of ways that we try and partner with them because we believe what they're doing is so valuable and important. If you were here on Christmas morning, you brought maybe you brought some diapers or some baby wipes or something like that that we gave to them so that they can uh, share with that young mom who's in a difficult situation that we can help provide for you. Uh, so that, that, that partnership has been ongoing for a long time, and it's something that we continue as Grace Church. When you give uh, to Grace Church, when you drop your offering in that box, or if you give online, uh, money goes towards Jewel Women's Center. We try and make sure we support them in some way, and so uh, that's part of what you're doing. As they said, they need volunteers. There's ways that you can be involved with what the Pregnancy Center is doing. Lots of different things um, that you can participate in. And certainly, prayer is a huge part of that. And if you text message, I mean, they don't uh, blow up your phone with texts all the time. But if you are a texter and don't mind getting text messages, as I said, that text to pray is a great way. Uh, to whenever you get it, wherever you are, just start praying when they say this young woman's coming in to have this conversation. Um, and of course, emails and, and giving online is, is possible as well. Uh, 
they said 2,700 of these facilities are all over the United States. And when the uh, most recent decision came down from the Supreme Court of overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, a number of those facilities were vandalized and people threatened uh, because of that overturning. And this topic, the, the abortion topic, is not super popular in a lot of different places. And uh, probably you've had conversations or maybe you've tried to steer away from uh, some of these conversations regarding this issue because of how tense it can be at times. So what I want to share this morning with you as a church, I shared it in first service and, and shared with you, is why this, this topic, this issue is so important for us as a church. This idea of uh, sanctity of life. That word sanctity means there's something special, unique, valuable, worth saving about human life. And so we as the church know that. Um, so we as the church should be the, the champions of the value of every single human life. And that's what I want to kind of share with you this morning. I, I, when you walk out of here, you certainly won't be confused about where I stand on the issue. But I, I don't want us as the church to be confused about it either. Because we walk into, as uh, Reverend Randy said, our Jerusalem. We're walking into a world that disagrees with us in a lot of things, but certainly this issue as well. And now it's even being mailed to your home. You can get a chemical abortion, which is those two pills, and you can take those in your home. And there's some states that if you are under the age of 18, you don't have to have any kind of parental, parental guidance or a, a parent signing off on anything. And so you can be 16 years old and, and get two of those pills. It's, it's everywhere. It's all around us. And I think as the church, we ought not be confused about what God says to us regarding life. Uh, the church has always been a champion for life. You just have to read history a little bit. Uh, history on this issue didn't start in 1973 when the Supreme Court said that the founders, the, 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 the guys that wrote the Constitution, had in mind in the writing of that Constitution in the late 1700s that abortion would be a right to privacy within the Constitution. And in 1973, they, they said they did. And so abortion was made legal in a lot of different ways. But this history didn't start in 1973. Lots of cultures, lots of religions have always devalued life. In certain cultures, if there was an unwanted child, you'd set them out in the forest, you'd set them out into the jungle, and then you would just let them die there. If you've ever heard of Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary. Uh, her whole uh, idea of mission, what God called her to do, was save those babies that were put out in the forest. The church has always been about that. The Roman Empire saw little to no value in children at all. They had zero rights whatsoever. They were expendable in a lot of ways. And the church always sought to minister care for them in everything that they try to do. Lots of religions uh, would sacrifice children to the gods, and the church sought to 
save those children from being sacrificed in, in ways. So this issue about life and its value and worth didn't start in 1973, but the church has always been about life. If you read throughout the Old Testament, um, you know, when we think about abortion and things like that that we talk about in the modern times, in the 21st century, uh, we don't see that word anywhere in Scripture. But something interesting, if you read the Old Testament, that happens over and over again is God is constantly talking about and telling Israel to care for the widow, the orphan, and the alien in your land. These people's lives who, in a lot of places throughout human history, didn't count for much, didn't matter a whole lot to society. We might say their life was not worth as much as this person's life, this Roman soldier's life, this marketplace owner's life, this uh, emperor's life, whatever you might say. All throughout the Old Testament, God is over and again talking about Israel caring for these lives that seemingly didn't matter in the world they lived in. Because God is emphasizing to Israel the value that he is placing on every single human life. Every single one. The church in Nepal, there was just an article in the BBC about the church in Nepal. I was just there in October, not that long ago. It is growing in leaps and bounds. And our churches in the EC world in Nepal are growing like crazy. And I, if you remember me telling you this when I got back, I, I asked, why is that? What, what is it about this message within a predominantly Hindu culture that is really grabbing hold of the hearts and minds of, of Nepalese people? And in Nepal, where there is the Hindu religion, you have a caste system. Many of the people that are becoming Christians in Nepal are on the lowest rungs of the caste system because one of the messages of the church is that you matter. But wait, I'm not part of that. It doesn't matter. Are you a human being? Yeah, I think so. Last time I checked, you matter. You know how much you matter? God sent his son for you. That message about life and the value of it is resonating with people in Nepal and the church is growing like crazy. God has always been about life, championing life, and the church ought to be about that as well. And so this didn't start in 1973. What we're dealing with with regard to the abortion issue in the United States of America. But 50 years on from that time, where do we stand? We know last year uh, that the Supreme Court overturned the decision from 1973 and said they got it wrong. The founders of the United States of America did not see written into the Constitution, did not have in their minds an intention that we would provide abortions, that we would kill unborn children. And so they overturned that. And so now it gets thrown back to the United States state by state. And so every state has to figure out where they stand on this issue. And, and in five states uh, this past November, uh, they were talking about this issue. It was on the ballot. 
uh, some states, as soon as things got overturned, put protections in place. Uh, heartbeat laws, in which when you hear a heartbeat, you can no longer perform an abortion. It doesn't mean that any of these abortions are illegal, but they're putting protections in place for children that are in the womb still. Uh, this, uh, and there's stats all over the place. You can find them everywhere. This is from Family Policy Foundation. Um, and just emphasizing the fact that 12 states have absolutely no restrictions on, on anything. But again, it doesn't mean that anything is, is illegal in the United States. And as I said, five different states this past November had the abortion issue on the ballot. And so that was really kind of like a temperature check for us to see where we stand as a culture. You know, we weren't sure exactly where we stood because this came from the federal government. And now that that's been overturned, every state is going to have to make some choices and decisions on what we believe, where we stand on this issue. And we haven't had it yet in Pennsylvania, but it is coming. I'm sure we will. Uh, this issue isn't going to go away. And we'll have to make some decisions on what we believe about the abortion issue, about life. So if I'm taking the temperature of where we stand in these states, each of these ballot initiatives, they all, the public, the voting public, all move to protect abortion access. None of the ballot initiatives said we want to protect life. They were all about abortion access, and each state decided we want to keep protections for that access to abortion. In Montana, they voted against a law. Uh, born alive law is what they called it. Basically, if there's a botched abortion, the child is born alive. They wanted to put laws in place to protect the life of that child that's been born alive. And the state of Montana said, no, we don't want to do that because of all these different, and you can read the articles about it. They have their reasons why they don't want to do that. They don't want to restrict that access. They don't want to say, yeah, you can save that child's life if there's a botched abortion. But the public in Montana did not want to restrict that. They did not want to pass this law. In California, Michigan, and Vermont, they've written it into their constitution. So now their constitutions will state you have a right to abortions, and that's been voted on by the public in these states. That written into the constitution of what makes us a state, who we are as a state says abortion should be provided. In New York, of course, uh, you can have abortion at any time during the pregnancy. There is no limit on when you can have an abortion. In Kansas and Kentucky, they tried to pass a law that said it's, we are not going to write it into our Constitution. And that was voted down. The chance still is there in Kansas and Kentucky that they, the voting public, could write this into the Constitution. Each time access to abortion was voted for, not against. So if I'm taking the temperature of where we're at as a public, the temperature isn't great. Some of these states, you probably could have said, well, it doesn't surprise me. Others, you're scratching your head and saying, doesn't it just seem natural to provide life care, life-saving care for someone that's born alive? I'm not sure why that's so complicated. But there's lots of nuances and caveats and uh, language gymnastics to make it sound like, you know, that 
That would be weird to provide protections for this life that's been born. So I, I want to do two things this morning. As I was thinking about this, um, the life group that meets on Friday evenings watched a movie called Unplanned. I don't know if you've ever seen Unplanned. It's a story about Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson was a director at a clinic for Planned Parenthood in Texas and just kind of follows her life and where she moved as being a director of a clinic to now being an advocate in the pro-life movement and being a part of nonprofits that are all about saving life. And it just kind of follows that trajectory of her life. It's a very powerful movie. I, it's not easy to watch necessarily because they don't uh, try and uh, soften some of the things regarding uh, the realities of abortion. Uh, but it is powerful and it is important, I think. And so if you're wondering about um, this kind of issue, maybe watching Unplanned would be something that you would want to do uh, just to get a better understanding about it. Um, two things I want to do this morning with you is talk about why this is important for us as the church and how we should be operating as the church in 2023 in the United States of America in Pennsylvania and Schuylkill County regarding the abortion issue. And two, I just want to make very clear uh, that, I, that I, what I'm going to say isn't Ted's opinion. I'm going to read for you out of Scripture what God says about life. And if you wanted to sit down with me and talk with me about how I think just because the Bible doesn't use the word abortion, God still hates it, uh, I'll use the Scripture to help us understand that. And, and the reason I'm saying that is because I agree with Randy. We are called to go back into our Jerusalem with the good news of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel. There is a broken world out there that desperately needs Jesus. Uh, that is, I've, I've given my life to that mission. But what I don't want us to confuse is that talking about this issue is just our opinion. That when I go out into my Jerusalem and champion life, it's just because Ted falls on the pro-life instead of the pro-choice or pro-abortion side of the fence. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, this isn't my opinion. This is what God says about life. And because God says this about life, this is how we're supposed to operate as the church. And we shouldn't be ashamed of promoting life. And you shouldn't be ashamed of being against abortion. What does this cathedral have to do with what I've just said? Uh, this is in New York. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. St. John the Divine in New York. Anybody ever see this cathedral in New York? Tim, you've been there. They broke ground on it 127 years ago. It's still not finished. When you look at this, it's a pretty... And I can imagine standing on the block there in New York City and staring at this gigantic church, this piece of architecture. And they started it 127 years ago, and it's still not finished. And that's just in the United States. We're a pretty young country. What if you go over to Europe? This is uh, a cathedral in Lyon in France, and it took them over 200 years to build this cathedral. 
Now, when you see cathedrals, the whole point of the architecture of the cathedral is to convey the sense of God's immensity, God's majesty, the glory of God. You know, you're talking about people that couldn't read and write, and they would walk into this building and they would just see how big and how amazing God is. And then throughout the cathedrals, there'd be pictures, stories of the biblical narrative of God's redemptive work throughout the story of the Bible. Kind of talking about the beauty and the majesty of God. And so important was this to these people in this culture, this day and age, before modern times. If you were a builder, you'd start building this thing and you'd die before it's done. And then your kid might take over for you and then he'd die before it's done. And then his son or daughter might take over, and then she or he would die before it's... I mean, you're talking about generation after generation after generation that didn't even get to see its completion. There's a cathedral in uh, England, Canterbury Cathedral. Over 300 years it took, three centuries it took to build this thing. Now, you could probably go in and worship, but it just was never done. There was still more to be added because they wanted to convey through the architecture the beauty and the majesty of God. Now, in that little video that I showed you, God's doing that very same thing. God's architecture, God's handiwork. But he's not doing it to this level. He's actually doing it in this very small space. We call it a womb. And God knits together male and female, brown hair, red hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, brown eyes. And we didn't even talk about, I mean, that's just, we didn't even talk about personalities. She's really outgoing. He's kind of shy. In this little place, God is making a work of art. And you know what that work of art does when it's born? It, it displays the beauty and majesty of God. We are his image bearers. And everywhere I go, I can't wipe it off of me. God put his fingerprint there. Not just on me, but on you too. And your children, your grandchildren, and every human being that has ever lived. And we've used the example of the fingerprint. It's never alike. Yours isn't the same as mine. Uniquely created by God. To convey his majesty, his glory, his beauty. That this God would give life. There's one thing you and I who walked into this room didn't ask for, ever. And actually no human being ever asked for it. And that's life. You didn't ask to be born. It was just given to you. It is a gift that God gives and I want to suggest to you that as we see these beautiful works of art that are conveying the beauty and majesty of God and people willing to die before they actually saw it to its completion, if it takes 300 years to end abortion, then that's what we should do. If I die before it's stopped, I want my children to keep doing it. When we fill these bottles... Lily and Leah fill a bottle too because we want them to know how important life is. 
If it takes 300 and more years, it's a worthy battle for us. We are called to this. God has called us to champion life. The the specialness of it, the uniqueness of it, the preciousness of it, the value, the worth of it. So if I die before it happens, it's a worthy battle for us to be engaged in as the church. If it takes 300 years or more, we should continue to fight that battle. Secondly, I want to share with you again and just make this distinction between Ted's opinions of walking back into Jerusalem and people don't need more of them. They need Jesus. There's a difference between Ted's opinion and walking back into my Jerusalem with this truth from God. And so I I want to make that clear this morning. That this abortion conversation, the church being against it, is not an opinion. It's because this is what God has called us to do. Because we are trying to tell humanity, and specifically for us, the United States, and at some point, Pennsylvania, because we are going to be faced with the challenge of voting for this. What we are saying is, we don't get to determine whose life is valuable and whose life isn't. The state doesn't get to determine whose life is valuable and whose life isn't. So the question is, who determines it? Who decides the value of human life? I'm glad you asked. Because there's a Bible verse about it. And it's all the way back in the beginning. And answering this question is super important for you being able to operate as a follower of Jesus in our Jerusalem. We're not the only ones that have to answer this question. When people grow up in a Hindu religion, they are answering this question too. And they have something called the caste system, as I said. This life is valuable, and simply because you're born into this caste, your life isn't quite as valuable. If you've ever heard of Mother Teresa, I'm sure you all have. She ministered to the untouchables, The people that society said, we could care less about you whether you die or not. That was part of the caste system. And who walks into that village in Calcutta and tells those untouchables that they're worth something? The untouchables were touched. That was God's representative saying, your life has worth and value. Everybody has to answer this question. If you grew up in a a Buddhist area, if you grew up with a no religion at all, you're an atheist, you grew up your whole life as an atheist, and your worldview is a naturalistic worldview, all this just kind of appeared, and because of random chemicals flying about, they kind of created DNA, and there's, even though we're all different, it just happened. If that's what you think about the world and life, okay, you still have to answer this question. Then what gives that person that's mentally disabled value and worth? Why should we care about them? There's no utility to them with society. They can't do anything. Everybody has to answer this question. Who determines what a life is worth? As Christians, thankfully, we have an answer to that question. You got to go all the way to the beginning of the Bible. 
where, where it all starts in, in the book of Genesis. In chapter 1, we get creation story. In the beginning was God. That's where we start. Our starting point as followers of Jesus. We start with God. And then we hear about how God created. He created the world. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, we'll come back to that, he created human beings. In Genesis chapter 2, the author of Genesis kind of expands a little bit of the story of creation. Gives us a little bit more details about creation. And in Genesis chapter 2, I'm just going to read a selection of verses. You can read it on your own as well. The author says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made earth and the heavens. When we look around and we wonder to ourselves, where did it all come from? The author of Genesis says, God created it. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man. From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Remember that song we just sang? It's your breath in our lungs. That's really true. We talked about God's breath, Ruach. We, were, we did a whole sermon series on uh, the Holy Spirit and God's breath and giving us life and how life comes from God. And here we have, in the beginning of the creation account, when we ask ourselves, well, how do I know I'm worth something? Who tells me what I'm worth? We come back to the creation of mankind, where it all started. And we read, we read these words that God breathed into man. And when that breath entered him, he became alive. He became a living being. Now, you can read other stories in the ancient Near Eastern world about where human beings came from. The gods formed them from clay and blood, and they put it together, and they mashed it together, and they formed these human beings to be in service to them. And so your life as a human being was to serve God. And so you'd get a crop, and you'd take it to the temple, and you'd have to serve the gods, and, and your life was about that. There's lots of different accounts about where we came from. But this one, the Christian story, says that God breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living being. And it says in verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for him to be by himself. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so the Lord God caused, caused the man in, to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with fresh, so flesh. So from the man, God takes his rib and creates woman. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And scholars believe this is the first song we have recorded in Scripture, maybe ever to be sung. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then the story continues after he creates man and woman and says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So I'm not going to go through all of the health class 
that you already sat through about this. But there's a reason a man in, leaves his family and a woman leaves her family. And it's, it's part of this creation narrative. Now, we're going to come back to that in a second. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Imagine that, feeling no shame. They were with their creator who had just gifted them life. They didn't ask for it. God just made it. And from his own breath, he puts breath into human beings and creates them. We are witnessing this gift that God is giving humanity. And that is the gift, human beings. This is the climax, the pinnacle of the creation story. In chapter 1, we get just a brief snapshot of that. In chapter 2, he kind of expands this story. Like chapter 1 was the summary, chapter 2 is here's the details. And what we find is that at the pinnacle, at the climax of the creation narrative, God makes human beings. And in chapter 1, we hear that he stamps them with his image. But what do we hear in chapter 2? That God from the earth forms mankind. He takes from something and he forms this thing that we call man. And he breathes life into him. And then from the man he takes a rib and makes woman. Now, Genesis is not written as a science textbook. So if you're going to try and find whether or not our DNA matches the DNA of dirt, it's not going to work. Dirt doesn't have DNA, just so you know. We're getting the story of what it means to be human and what God has done to make human beings. And so from the earth, he makes man. From man... He makes woman. Now, how does the continuation of the species happen? Where do humans come from next? You know the answer to this. I'm sure you do. You've had the, well, where do babies come from? I'm not going to go into that whole detail. I'm just going to tell you. They come from a woman. Look at how creation story just continues. And now God gives human beings this creative power. He gives it to us. And in chapter 1, he says, be fruitful and multiply. We hear this passage. So God created mankind in his own image. We are bearing witness to who this God is that would give life. And even in our giving of life, we're bearing his image. He created them male and female. And after verse 27, it says in verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill all the earth. I want life to spread all over this planet. And you're going to be a part of that. Life is now deriving from human beings. This gift that we didn't ask for that God gave is now given to us. We become a part of what God is doing. You see how special and precious life is. And then so throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God is trying to tell Israel how special they are. All of those miracles that God is doing for a group of people that turn their back on him half the time. 
All the laws that we read are about how special it is to be human. Don't squander this gift. And not only that, you are going to convey that to the world around you because you're actually going to have laws that protect human life. All the cultures around you, human life is expendable. If it can do something for me, I'd like it. If it can't, I'll get rid of it. And so law after law after law, care for the widow and the orphan. Care for the alien in your land. Care for the very vulnerable people that are all around you because their life is important as well. And each of those lives are marked with my image. What I'm sharing with you is not Ted's opinion. It is what God says about life. Life comes from God and he, and he alone is the only one that can tell us our worth and our value. And I, I want to expand this thought a little bit. I don't want to go too far. I'm trying to cover a lot in just one message, but I just want to expand a little bit of what happens when life doesn't have value. It's not just that's taking place in the womb, and those lives don't have anyone to speak for themselves except for us, the church. Now, if you've been at Grace Church long enough, you know most of my quotes come from, obviously, the Bible. I'm a pastor, so, of course, they come from the Bible. But if it's not from the Bible, they will come from Seinfeld, or they'll come from Braveheart, or they'll come from a Western by Clint Eastwood, and that's what this is. If you've ever watched uh, the, the movie for a few dollars more, as the movie begins and you get that spaghetti western kind of Clint Eastwood music that is now synonymous with Clint Eastwood, this appears. And it's setting the stage for what you're about to watch, which is pretty, as they called it, wild west. But it wasn't just wild, it was mean and nasty. And life was expendable, and so much so... That when life doesn't have much of a value, death sometimes has its price. And so we're watching a movie with Clint Eastwood about the bounty hunters. Dead or alive, you bring them in, you'll get a reward. When life has no value, death has its price. What does a world look like when someone other than God defines the worth of a human life. Well, the Jerusalem we're walking into, we're witnessing that. We, we can see it. It's right in front of our face. I can go online and I can pull out lots of different stats. This is just one of them. You can find it everywhere. Planned Parenthood generated $1.7 billion, 2020, 2021. And the latest numbers are that the abortions have increased by 32% since this, these last numbers. $1.7 billion. Their net assets are over $2 billion. When life has no value, death has its price. There's a lot of money to be made in this. It, the numbers aren't lying to us. They are making that money. I want to just expand this briefly to show you why it is so important we as the church understand that this isn't our opinion about life. This is just what God said. And when we move away from God being the determining factor about the worth of human life, we get things like what's happening in Canada. 
they used to call it assisted suicide. Now they call it medical aid in dying. It's basically helping people kill themselves. In 2021, 3.3 of all deaths in the country of Canada came as a result of someone being helped to die. Of going to the doctor saying, I want to commit suicide. Will you help me? And they say, sure we will. And they figure we can save over $109 million in just healthcare costs by doing this. And I just want to give you a comparison, those numbers. That means over 10,000 people in the state of Canada were helped in committing suicide by the state of Canada. One of the first lines in the Hippocratic Oath, doctors say, First, help. Help, not harm. And so you have somebody who is broken, somebody who is vulnerable, somebody who is sad and depressed walking into your office. And the conversation you have across the table is how can we help you die? Preying on people's fear, vulnerability being scared. Maybe they don't have a family to support them. A number of these deaths were due to cancer. And the phrase that is used, one, another one of these euphemisms that we use, dying with dignity. I don't know what that means. I don't know what is so dignified about being assisted to kill yourself. Because God actually says the opposite. You have dignity and worth, and I don't care if you can give anything to society or not. If you've got to quit your job because you have cancer, you have dignity because you're you. There's nothing undignified about you. And in fact, you know how God showed that? When he shows up on planet Earth in a very hostile world, all this is happening all around Jesus. People are expendable. Life isn't that valuable. And who does Jesus go to? If that man with leprosy was a horrible, painful disease, nobody would even go around him. You have to go outside of the village, outside of the community. You are isolated from everybody you know, from your family, your friends, everybody. If that man walked into a doctor's office in Canada today, they would say, how can we help you die? You know what Jesus did? He walked right up to him when no one else would touch him. He put his hand on him. In my kingdom, you still have value and worth. Your disease doesn't define you. Your disease doesn't determine whether you're worth something to society or not. You are a human being. And Jesus embraces the leper. And he's healed. The war in Afghanistan that lasted 20 years, we lost over 2,000 servicemen and women. In the country of Canada, in one year, they killed over 10,000. They assisted in dying. When life has lost its value, death sometimes has its price. What I'm saying to us this morning, if it takes 300 years to turn back the tide of this nonsense, then the church has to be about that. We are about helping the vulnerable, the broken. When those young women are walking into Jewel, that's what they're walking in as, broken, vulnerable people. 
And you know what they hear instead? You have value and worth, and God is doing something amazing in you. And the brokenness that you are experiencing, whatever has happened to you, God can redeem and bring life out of it. Unfortunately, in 2022, they had 43, they had more than 43, but they had 43 conversations with young women that chose life. Now, the likelihood of those young women going back for another abortion is very small. The culture of life exists now in 43 different lives. I wonder how many conversations they've had with people in their life about keeping this baby. And now these people in their life are watching this young mother try and do it with the help of Jewel and the help of people like us sitting in churches that say, this is what we're supposed to be about. If we're going to change the culture, if we're going to turn back the tide of this happening, it's because we're going to be doing stuff like this. I'm sad to say it's not about who we put in the office. Now, this is Ted's opinion, so you can take it what it's worth. Most politicians, most of our political class in 2023 are cowards. That's my opinion. You can disagree with me. That's okay. If we're going to create a culture of life, it's because Jewel's going to have 43 or more conversations in 2023 with young women who are vulnerable and broken and very susceptible to someone coming in their life and saying, I can make that go away like that. And we as a church are saying it is in our best interest, it is in your best interest. In fact, we are willing to put our money where our mouth is, sacrifice time and energy to say, you're not alone in this. Because life is so valuable and important, we want to help you. Now, I, I say all of this because obviously I think you can tell it's important to me. The best chance some of these people have in this world is the church speaking up and saying, we want to help. We want to be there to support you. We want to walk through this with you. We want to come by your bedside and you have cancer and we know it could end very easily, but we're going to sit here and be with you and we're going to pray with you and we're going to bring meals to you. I don't know what it looks like, but it doesn't look like us being disengaged from it. You and I are bearing the image of God to those around us. We have a unique opportunity to do that here in 2023, and we can partner with a, an organization that this is their whole goal. If we can get Jewel in front of one more person, and that person chooses life, we've accomplished something. We turn back the tide in that life and whoever they know. The answer is not to send money to sendmoneynow.com on whatever politician is asking for money. The answer is to be engaged, whether that's participation, counseling, volunteering, praying, giving. We have got to be engaged on this issue. And if it takes 300 years, then we do it. God has called us as the church to advocate life because he said it is precious. 
It is so precious to him that he died to save ours. That's how precious life is. That he would give his own life for us. And now he has called us as the church to love our neighbor as Jesus has first loved. And it's time for us to do that and be fully engaged in the issue of life. And be the church God has called us to be in 2023. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of life that you've given to us. God, this gift that we didn't ask for, but you gave us. God, it is special, it is unique, and it is worth something because you have put your imprint on us. And whether it's a baby in the womb that can't speak for themselves or whether it's a hurting, broken, depressed, scared individual who has received a terminal diagnosis, every life is valuable. Whether we can contribute to society or whether we can't, every life has value. God, you and you alone determine the value of human life. Help us never to forget that as the church. God, help us to walk out of this place this morning knowing that because you loved us enough, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. That in itself should speak of the value of life. And God, you have given us as the church a task to go out into our Jerusalem and share the truth of your word. And God, I pray that as we have conversations, as you give us opportunities, as we are challenged to pray, give, and volunteer, I pray, Lord, that we would continually see that you are putting us in people's lives sometimes very broken lives, to convey how amazing and how good you truly are. God, help us to be bold and courageous in bearing witness to who you are in this world, the gift of life you've given, and how we convey that with our very lives, what we say and do as followers of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.